0: From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Ampirical's Tech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Ampirical, former utility engineer,
1: and power industry advocate. Welcome my name is Kevin Johnson, Director of Business Development here at Empirical. This episode of our Power Tech Podcast is the fourth and final episode in a series highlighting our previously recorded webinar entitled, Protection and Control Automation 2021 and Beyond. In the first three episodes, our panelists discuss significant challenges that the electric utility industry faces over the next decade related to protection and control automation and where they believe the industry is related to the acceptance of cloud computing as a technology platform for protection and control and the overall impact of IEC 61850 on the digitalization of the electric power grid and its protection, automation, and control. In this final episode in the series, our panelists respond to questions from the webinar audience and offer further insight into our topic.
0: In our time left, uh, we've got some audience questions, and Alex, I'll I'll let you keep going because I think this first one is good for you to kick us off. How do we isolate and perform testing of automated systems like that?
2: Piece of cake. It's what we call virtual isolation. You know, I have been a protection engineer for 45 years, and I know how conservative the industry is, And I know how important it is to feel actually safe when you go to the substation. And one of the biggest benefits of what we've done in 61850 is that in a traditional hardwired environment, you have to isolate the complete relay in order to be able to test it. But within 61850, in the hierarchy of the model, we can put each function or each function element in a different mode. So actually, when I put it in test mode, it is looking only to messages that contain a flag indicating that this is a test message. So you can distinguish from the normal traffic and the traffic coming from the test equipment that has a simulation flag. So when I tell the relay that I'm testing, I will be sending you simulated data. It switches to a mode where the communication interface is looking for the data where this flag is set to true. And again, I can talk a lot about this, but I think this is the short answer. We have virtual isolation that is much better than the physical isolation that we have today because it allows you to do what what Chen was talking about. I can test the relay sitting in my chair here and talking to this panel and at the same time I can be running a test sequence in a substation that is 300 miles from me. Deepak, sure.
3: I just would like to add to what Alex said, and absolutely, and this is where uh, one aspect is the technology that has progressed to make it a lot more simple for users in building a lot of other underlying concepts underlying uh, uh, the the base infrastructure on communication as well as on the functionality but besides that point again and uh, as you know for uh, one big question that comes is oh is all digital technology how should we should we do this you know it's all communication you know you don't have to be a network engineer you don't have to be a a communication engineer to adapt this digital technology. This is very, very much like existing techniques. All that is, all of that additional complexity of uh, isolation, testing, simulation, uh, all of that additional capabilities is all abstracted out. Again, it's just a question of either pressing a button or, uh, or you know, enabling something in the software. It's fairly, fairly simple. Again, uh, the, the, all the details you don't have to know, you just have to use. it. Uh, I guess that's, that's important to, you know, uh, emphasize.
4: That,
2: yeah. Dan?
4: So I want to echo both of them, but one thing I also, also want to mention as well, like um, Alex was talking about the, the idea. Actually, it's no longer an idea. It's actually been done, been tested too. You know, I think the UCA had been doing multiple uh what you call interop uh, event, you know, we hosted one in New Orleans and then uh, Charlotte also have one as well. Those have been proven and tested and see things work. I myself was a witness before when UCA done interop in Belgium and I was witnessing the whole entire test mode test that stuff. So again, this is nothing, it's not concept. It's actually been done. I think another thing to echo is education and awareness. So people have to really got to see it. So that's why, like, you know, some of the lab I defined myself. We have those labs we create those those uh, pilots to show our few people the engineers that hey, demonstrate to them and just to gain the confidence and show them how things work so again, this is the improvement concept. I think you know hopefully we can adopt have more people adopt this uh, this kind of a test sure circus
5: well um uh, first of all, I want to add uh, something here that uh, Uh, Alex uh, was the convener in a a secret group that uh, uh, developed a standard for uh, uh, this kind of testing. And uh, Alex, I didn't see here, you mentioned this, uh, for people that want to look at these methods uh, more carefully, I guess, and uh, they can uh, uh, look at this uh, report, I guess. Uh, Now, the other thing I want to add here is that the following, that uh, uh, the... uh, 6150 and similar technologies uh, 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 have the capability to do continuous che- uh, uh, testing of the uh, and checking of the protection and control system. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, uh, without re- referencing a specific blackout, uh, it happened because uh, sub- some technician forgot a wire uh, in the connection of a relay. And then what happened is that uh, uh, a small fault happened somewhere in a distribution system and brought down a 345 KV system uh, and was a major blackout. Okay. Uh, now, this kind of thing can be avoided with 6150 because it can continuously check the relays and uh, determine if everything connected properly all uh, the uh, traffic in uh, data is consistent with what is going, going on in the system and so on. So it is not only the testing, the periodic testing of the relays. This technology has the capability to have real-time continuous testing, uh, which uh, is, um, uh, uh, we don't do this now, uh, but there, there is a possibility that this technology offers this uh, capability. And then uh, uh, under these conditions, then uh, basically uh, it eliminates or the, it uh, makes the need for uh, uh, maintenance testing and so on. Uh, at uh, at longer intervals than uh, what we need today. right.
0: Very good. Our second question, and Maggie, this might be one for you. What does the security approach look like regarding cloud-based applications?
6: Uh, Okay. Um, So I almost was on a discussion about cloud and didn't talk about shared responsibility models. (laughs) <laughs> um, until this question came along. So, no, I appreciate this question because this is a very important concept um, for cloud users um, to really internalize when um, they're considering the cloud and, and looking at the cloud. So, um, in the shared responsibility model, you know, AWS would manage the um, controls, um, manages and controls the components from the host operating system and the virtualization layer down to the physical security of facilities in which uh, the services operate. Um, And uh, AWS customers are responsible for building those secure applications on on top. Um, And it's it's really important as a a shared dynamic um, and to understand, um, depending on the uh, workloads and the services chosen, Um, to understand uh, what is shared, who is responsible for which components of that security framework. Um, And I I will add for customers, they can leverage a a wide variety of best practices documents, encryption tools. We have a well-architected framework that is very valuable for customers to, to follow and assess, to really build out and assess their Security measures and security controls, and we have other guidance um, and and training and um, and and other um, resources available to support uh, customer implementation for their application level security measures. And I know we've had we've been um, it's come up many times in this discussion, but uh, training, education, knowledge building, uh, understanding um, uh, more about technology is extremely valuable for um, security measures as well.
3: Deepak. Yeah, you know, uh, one quick note. Uh, you know, when it comes to security, you know, a lot of especially with the digital technology, people get nervous. Oh, this means you know uh, this could be hacked, and uh, this uh, there's a lot of things you know o- overheads that you would not see uh, with a traditional hardwired system. So I just want to make it clear that uh, that is not necessar- necessarily the case. Uh, there are ways that you can architect your uh, 60, fifty or digital technology in a way that, you know, this could be completely isolated where, you know, there's no outside access. You can separate with data diode. There are already products, technologies already out there that can you can uh, implement in the system and, and almost uh, close, completely mitigate uh, the threat vectors and so forth. As a matter of fact, in pretty much in this domain, uh, there is an ongoing activity between IEEE and NERC uh, developing a guide uh, on the cyber security front, front and how do we apply this. So regardless, uh, the, the bottom line here is this is uh, the security should not be a constraint. There are ways that you can address those by in the architecture, by tools, monitoring tools that you know, Maggie mentioned. And uh, you know the capabilities that already exist, uh, there should not be a hindrance but a boon, how we can be more active in, in implementing this. And uh, just uh, the security not only applies for 60 and 50 Security indeed applies for anywhere microprocessor devices exist, and that you know, pretty much in these days are, are almost 100 percent everywhere. So the 60 and50 is just an add-on to the existing microprocessor system.:
0: What about that, Nathan?
7: Yeah, as far as the uh, security of the cloud, uh, I definitely encourage folks, uh, if y'all haven't already, check out the Empirical uh, podcast series that Maggie was actually uh, one of the guests, uh, extensive analysis, security of the cloud. Uh, Yeah, there is that shared information model uh, to to basically, you know, and people that use the cloud really, you know, it's helpful to say, okay, am am I responsible for the cloud or am I just an end user of someone else's kind of software as a service solution, and then that provider, they're the ones that are responsible for security, securing that information in the cloud. And then you can also get into ownership. So it is definitely, you know, great model. Uh, but I, I can I can definitely confirm, you know, AWS and, and other cloud service providers, there there is the infrastructure there in place to secure these systems. Uh, it takes, just like everything else, you know, engineering, awareness, and understanding of how to achieve that, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to add. Let me have have one key thing. The one
8: key thing is all that stuff is free. I'm not, I'm not, I don't work for AWS. I'm not, I'm not, you know, plugging them shamelessly. I'm saying that shared responsibility matrix is Google it right now. It pops up. It's a great refrigerator drawing to put up there with your magnets on your refrigerator look at when you're eating breakfast in the morning. But the point is, it makes it very easy to see that line of demarcation. And it's a great tool. And everything Maggie was talking about, all those best practices and all these things, they're in the knowledge base that's completely free. Like, you guys can just look this stuff up right now and and do that. And I'm also extremely encouraged by most industries when they come out with a standard, AWS updates its crosswalk. But every industry, like the IEEE merging with NERC and all these things, everyone's taking it upon themselves to do that NIST crosswalk. And most of those things, if you know where to look, those are free out there and they're great visual aids. A picture's worth a thousand words, like they said, and it shows those interdependency mappings. I highly encourage everyone to to use those things, use those resources, because I'm sorry, it's free knowledge, it's out there, and and, and it's it, it'll align us all on that bridging that gap between security and operations and regulatory risk and the stuff that holds us back. And I really think that that if anything, That'll keep you guys operationally ahead of the regulatory game if you could just pitch that to whoever's signing the check to buy whatever solution.
2: Well,
0: Alex, now it is five minutes left.
2: Yeah, uh, very quickly. When we talk about uh, cybersecurity, I think one of the benefits of IC61850 is that part of it is what we call the system configuration language. So when you engineer the system, you engineer it within this standardized environment in which you define the complete signal flow, all the messages that are exchanged between all devices connected to the network. So actually, if you use this SCL file and you load it into your intrusion detection system, you can immediately see what is the expected traffic on the network, and you can immediately understand if there is any unexpected signal appearing on the network. So, this is the problem is that many people say, Oh, we are going to do a bottom-up engineering and we are not going to use the system configuration tools. And this is leading to the lack of this kind of proper engineering tools that can help you with the cybersecurity. The second issue I would like to mention is the role-based access control, because this is something that if you have people that get access to the technology without having perfect understanding and the right to make changes or publish signals or do as part of the testing something, it may lead to a wide area disturbance. And this is why this is something else that also has to be taken very seriously. All right, Sakis, I'll give you the last word.
5: Uh, Yes, I just want to add something to what Alex said, that uh, uh, basically the 6150 can allow uh, intrusion detection by having a structure and so on. An additional benefit, of course, a sophisticated intruder can also uh, an expert in uh, 6150, can. Uh, there are paths by which can defeat this. But uh, the 6150 provides another, an additional uh, benefit. That is, we can do what we call context-based intrusion detection. In other words, it can monitor, the, it can track the operation of the physical system. So we have the physical system. We know what this physical system is doing. And uh, therefore, by comparing what is going on in the physical system, and comparing what is the traffic of the data, uh, we can do context-based uh, intrusion detection. That's another benefit, uh, which is to my my mind, this is the ultimate defense uh, against uh, cybersecurity.
1: Today, you heard from leading subject matter professionals regarding the electric power grid and its protection and control automation 2021 20, and beyond. Be on the lookout for our next Power Tech podcast as we continue to bring technology to the power industry. Well, that
0: about wraps up this edition of the Power Tech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log in to wherever you've subscribed to the podcast and both rate this show and leave a comment, as that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit empirical.com. We post free white papers, articles, and all of our previous podcasts there Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, you can do all of that and much more at Empirical.com. Please stay tuned and join us for the next episode of the Power Tech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.